Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for October 2019. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Greetings to you from Bixby in Oklahoma. I am up in our games room recording this month's message. Outside, it is a pretty day, but we are experiencing the changeable weather that is a precursor to us going into full winter. We get warm days and then cool days, and so it's mild today, tomorrow is going to be warm, and then Thursday we're going to be cold and rainy and so on, and that's that time of the year. I must say, for those of you who are listening to me in South Africa, this is the time of the year that I so enjoyed because of the jacarandas that would be blooming in Pretoria and Johannesburg, and particularly in Gweru when we lived there, the street that we lived on, and that whole area was just, all of the streets were glorious avenues of purple flowers during the the springtime. And the pictures that we've been seeing on Facebook from South Africa are so gorgeous, so beautiful. The jacarandas are putting on a wonderful display. I must say that one of my dreams is when Bev and I do eventually move down to the coast is to plant a jacaranda tree. They grow in Florida, but up here where we are now, it gets too cold for jacarandas to survive. Anyway, that's enough about horticulture. We are doing well. We are blessed. Praise God for continued health for me. I continue to lose weight. Uh, I ride about six miles every day on my trike and the inches are coming off. I can't get over how loose my watch is getting and all my clothes. Bev just said to me this morning, you are fading away before my very eyes. And I'm grateful to God because many years ago when I was in in Colombia, somebody had a vision of me and they said in the vision, you were so flacco, that means thin, skinny. And so I've laid hold of that, and by the grace of God, that's where I'm going. What I went through was a wake-up call for me, and uh, been off sugar for three months. We did fudge a little bit when we were went down to Pensacola Beach for a, a break, and uh, we had bread pudding. Oh, at Peg Leg Pete's. It was amazing. And then to cap it all the next night at uh, Flounder's, we ordered their key lime pie, not realizing it was a three-layer key lime pie with graham crackers, then key lime, then graham crackers, then another color of key lime, then graham crackers, and the whole thing was covered with cream. And so uh, I ate a few bites of that, and we took it home, and the next day I had a few bites, and Bev had a few bites, and we threw the rest away. But that was our little sortie into the bad zone of sugar but otherwise we've been really good and Bev is losing weight and we're sort of in competition with each other to see who can get down the quickest anyway it's it's all good and we're just rejoicing in how well we feel and God is good to John and Bev and so rejoice with us in that well, this month's message is a continuation in our series. I'm going to just do a recap of where we have come from 
The first message was an introduction to sonship from the verses in the Gospels where Jesus spoke about sonship. There's some fabulous truths that are unveiled through what Jesus taught in John chapter 8 and in John chapter 15 about sonship. In the second message, we got into Romans 8, which talks about us being sons and we've received the spirit of adoption. And the main thing that I dealt with there is the condemnation that keeps so many of God's people from being able to embrace emotionally the reality of being sons. And so in March, I continued that looking at Galatians chapter 3, comparing the pedagogue and the paraclete and the law was the pedagogue and the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. And instead of being under the law and being directed by the law and either threatened or encouraged by the law, we are now led into truth by the paraclete. That was a great message. And I know I got great feedback from many of you that really appreciated that message. And then in June, I tackled the subject of one nature or two. That is a concept in theology that has kept so many people in confusion because of not knowing that we now have an, are completely a new creation with a new nature. And so much uh, theology has perpetuated the idea that we have two natures. And that has created confusion and has kept a lot of people equating some of their desires with the flesh as the lusts of the old nature and not understanding that we do have simple desires which are part of our being human and they're not necessarily evil in and of themselves. It's how you respond to them and how you gratify those desires which either is going to bring you into bondage or bring you into freedom. Then in July, we looked at being free from an evil conscience having your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and how many are neutralized by the evil conscience because just when you are about to get into some great revelatory truth for your life, the enemy will just bring up your past or bring up a sense of unworthiness or condemn you through your evil conscience. And so what we need under the new covenant is we need our hearts to be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Then last month, we looked at this foundation of sonship and particularly the story of the two sons in Luke chapter 15 and Jesus highlighting to us the Father, His kindness, His love, His mercy, His compassion. And uh, that is the foundation of sonship. If you don't know the Father's great love, if you don't know His character, you will always be doubtful of your position and your identity as a son. You will be uh, subject to the intimidation of the enemy. And I'm telling you, he is an intimidator and he knows which buttons to press in all of us emotionally and mentally and spiritually and even physically at times to get us down and to doubt our identity as sons and daughters of the living God. Now, this month, I'm getting into a marvelous subject and it's really the precursor to us getting into understanding our authority as believers, our authority as sons and daughters in the area of dominion over the works of the enemy and in the area of prayer and so many areas. 
And so where our study goes from here is, is fundamental and important. But we need to study this concept of heirs because of what Paul says in Galatians 4. And therefore you are no longer a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir. And to me, there is a logical progression. If you understand and embrace your identity as a son, the next thing that comes out of that and flows out of that is that you are an heir of God. And as Romans 8 says, you are a joint heir with Christ. And we're going to unpack that concept this month. I want to read again from Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start reading at verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, and when we looked at the pedagogue and the paraclete, this was before Christ came. Before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. I had somebody call into the office and argue that because we're Gentiles, we were never under the law. But Paul is writing here to Gentile believers, and although the law was primarily directed towards Israel, once the law was given, it had an effect upon all of us in that the judgment of the law passed upon all of us. And so you'll see that Christ had to die. I'm going to read the passage in Hebrews 9. He had to die for the transgressions under the first covenant, which had impacted every one of us. And so that the promise of faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor or our pedagogue to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now we are under the paraclete, under the, the Holy Spirit. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And then this is key. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. One of the translations says, though he owns the entire estate. <laughs> That's it. We own the entire estate now because we are heirs. He said, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, the elementary principles. We've gone into that. If you're good, you're blessed. If you're bad, you're punished. That's how children are raised. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent for his son, born of a woman, to redeem born under those the who were under the law. He doesn't even say there to redeem them from sin, because once we are redeemed from under the law, sin is a non-issue. It is the law that empowers sin. To redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption, the setting in place as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, 
Abba Father. We have the same spirit of sonship that was in the Son. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That was one of the key verses back in January of 1982 at I Go to River Mouth that got into my spirit. I am no longer a servant. I am a son. But then for the next uh, how many years now? 37 years I've been unpacking the truth of being a son and being an heir. Awesome. Awesome concept. We are heirs of God through Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to read from Hebrews chapter 9, from verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. I love that phrase, don't you? The good things to come. Peter tells us that the angels long to look into the revelation of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's it. They're the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. And by the way, that's not for the sweet by and by. The good things to come, they followed the coming of our high priest. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now, listen to this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If your heart isn't sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, your conscience will suggest dead works for you to do. But they are dead. They no longer have any validity. And so we need to be cleansed. Our conscience needs to be cleansed from dead works that the enemy suggests to us as compensatory behavior for the condemnation that he puts upon us. Verse 15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption, listen to this, of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So he, is, he comes and he dies to redeem us from transgressions under the first covenant. Every transgression of the law, he has died to redeem us from that so that we might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And then he gives us a couple of key verses. For where there is a testament or a will, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. He introduces the concept of the new covenant as a testament or as a will that demanded or required the death of the testator. And so Jesus in his death 
deals with the transgressions under that old covenant, removes them away completely because he deals with the law. We die to the law through the body of Christ. So all the judgments of the old covenant upon us for our transgressions of the law are thoroughly and completely dealt with so that we may receive the eternal inheritance, not so that we may live a holy life. I mean, it's like the preoccupation of the church with holy living is such a robbery of the people of God from understanding what the death of Jesus Christ on the cross truly meant for us. It's not just to deliver us from sin. It is so that we might receive and enjoy and partake of and minister out of the riches of the inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. So many of us are living way below our inheritance because our preoccupation has been what religion has has foisted upon the church. And that is that our main goal should be to try to live a sinless life and try to live a holy life. No, as we've seen before and in the book of Hebrews, we are already sanctified. We are already holy. We are saints. We have been we have been declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a done deal. It's finished. And now what we are supposed to be about is appropriating, enjoying, and living out of the abundance of the inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. And for that to happen, for that to be ours, it demanded the death of the testator. And so I want you to see this every time you partake of the Lord's Supper and you lift up that cup. This is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus said. This seals the testament to you. This seals the last will and testament. The shedding of my blood is the seal of that testament to you. And so that is why in all of my teaching on the covenant meal, I emphasize not looking back at the sufferings of Jesus but looking at all that his sufferings have purchased on our behalf. We have become heirs through him. And so that's why I encourage people when they partake of the the covenant meal is to be confessing the promises, to speaking the promises that they are believing God for, that they are standing on, because that is your inheritance, the promises of God. We read that in Galatians. And if we are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The, <laughs> the promise is ours. The promise, every promise is ours. Now, I want us to look through some of the things the New Testament tells us it's what we have inherited in Christ. Number one, from Hebrews eleven seven, we are the heirs of the righteousness that is ours through faith. We are heirs of righteousness. That's, that's, that's the most important gift, isn't it? We are heirs of righteousness. Righteousness is not something to be earned. It is something that is ours by inheritance. You are placed in right standing with the Father. That's it. Omega. It's over. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. You are righteous. That's the first inheritance. Then 1 Peter 3 talks about that we as husband and wife are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Don't you love that phrase? We are heirs together, fellow heirs of the grace of life. Let me tell you this. It pains me 
that because for so many people they got married under old covenant mentality of vowing vows and making promises to each other, so often they are not enjoying the grace of life. They are living in the conflict of expectations of one another because together they've not embraced the promise of God relating to marriage and the wonderful blessing that marriage brings forth. And so we are heirs of the grace of life together. That's what we are to be inheriting together, the grace of life. The third thing in Titus 3 verse 7, he says we've become heirs of the hope of eternal life. That's part of our inheritance, the hope of eternal life. Of course, we know that eternal life is ours now, but there is also the hope of beyond. We all understand what that is. James 2.5, we heirs of the kingdom, heirs of the kingdom. The kingdom has been bestowed upon us. It's not something that we earn or deserve. It's ours by inheritance. And then Hebrews 1.14 sums it all up. We are heirs of salvation. All that salvation implies, deliverance, prosperity, healing, wholeness. Oh, that sozo is such a wonderful word. Emotional wellness, uh, financial wellness, every area. We are heirs of salvation. First Peter 3, 9, we inherit a blessing. Whoo! The blessing of the Father is our inheritance. And then Matthew 19, 29, inherit eternal life. Matthew 25, 34 again, inherit the kingdom. The kingdom, eternal life, the grace of life, righteousness. What a wealth is ours of what we inherit through Christ. Now, why is it? that so many of God's people are living below their inheritance. Why is it that we have not appropriated that inheritance? And I believe that just like we saw last month in looking at the older brother, because we have not gone from the servant mentality into renewing our minds as sons, we have still labored under the mindset that we're waiting on a reward for our diligent obedience and for living a holy life, we will be rewarded instead of recognizing that the inheritance is ours already. Now, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 1, because Ephesians chapter 1 is a phenomenal chapter concerning our inheritance. First of all, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, even in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, one of the things, a lie that the church has been seduced by, has been that our inheritance is tucked away in heaven and being reserved in heaven for us when we get there. I want to ask you this. What on earth are you going to need an inheritance for in heaven? (laughs) You're home in the Father's house and you're enjoying everything. It is kept in heaven for you in order for you 
when Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And the word reserved there is kept or preserved. Why is God preserving your inherit inheritance in heaven? He wants you to be sure of it that it's absolutely as sure as His presence, it is kept for you. Not because you're waiting until you get to heaven to withdraw from your inheritance. No, it is there. It's simply a guarantee. And that's what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. A lot of people say, well, you see, those are blessings in heavenly places. But you want to see what is in the heavenly places? In Revelation chapter 5 and verse, verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. This is in heaven. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Those are the riches in heaven in Christ Jesus that we are already blessed with. Riches are part of it. Why is it that we have been so deceived by rotten theology into believing it's all in the sweet by and by? I was thinking again this morning about uh, how in the Baptist church we so often sang the first and, and second verses of a hymn that were all about salvation and the joy of salvation and the assurance of salvation. And then we skipped to the last verse, which was all about heaven. In between, there wasn't anything to sing about because we're here yeah, in the, the struggle down here on earth and, and it's all in the sweet by and by. And so many of us have lived under that illusion that has been created by bad theology, that everything awaits us one day. Can I tell you that the enemy is a terrible liar in this area? He'll keep pointing you when you're going through a tough time, when you're in ill health, when you're in lack, when you're financially challenged. He'll keep pointing you to heaven and saying, one day, by and by, you'll have it. And that, as we're going to see in future studies, is because he doesn't want us to plunder the goods that Jesus has bound him in order to release to us. He wants to keep a hold of that which he has usurped from mankind through Adam and Eve. He doesn't want us to understand what Jesus did at the cross in defeating him, binding the strong man and dividing to us the spoils. He doesn't want us to get that. And so what he'll do again and again and again and again when you're going through persecution or, or suffering or you're going through a hard time, when you're going through financial lack and, and a physical uh, sickness or illness, he'll point you to heaven and he'll say, there's your inheritance by and by. You just need to put up with the fact that it's not going to be an easy road through this life. And of course, there is truth to that, but he is robbing the people of God from living in the fullness of inheritance through that deception. And unfortunately, bad theology has helped to perpetuate that concept in the minds of so many of God's people. So, verse 11, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all 
all things according to the counsel of his will. Isn't that wonderful? I love that about God's predestination. If you read in Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then he tells us he's, that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so everything is fitting into the purpose of his will. We're predestined. We have this inheritance. And the inheritance is available to us for this transformational work of the Spirit in us of being conformed to the image of his son that's what we're predestined to become like his son and the inheritance is ours in order to be transformed that we who first trusted in Christ verse 12 should be to the praise of his glory and now then listen to this in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, the down payment, the lay-by, the engagement ring, the arabon is the Greek word that is still used today of an engagement ring, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Man, I love that. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Let's just meditate on that for a moment. The Spirit who he's talking about here, he calls the, the Spirit of promise. He's also the Spirit of adoption or of the setting in place as a son. So the gift of the Holy Spirit to us sets us in place as sons and bestows on us the inheritance and is at the same time the guarantee of the full inheritance that is ours and is the means whereby we receive the inheritance. Remember, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And in the parallel, he says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. When you ask God for anything, his answer is always the Holy Spirit and through him, the good gifts. The Holy Spirit is the dispenser of the grace of life, of the grace of, of the good gifts of the father to us. It's awesome. What an amazing inheritance we have. And let me remind you again, Galatians 3 and verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The primary, the primary blessing or inheritance to Abraham's seed is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. And remember, that's exactly what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of the sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to as many as be afar off. That is the primary gift of the new covenant salvation is the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit and with him everything that we need. Now, here's the wonderful thing. Every time, now I'm making an assumption here that most of you who are listening to me are comfortable with the reality of the fact that the gift of tongues 
is a gift that is freely available to us. It's not something you have to ask for. It's part of your inheritance. It's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes in, He doesn't come in with part measure. He comes in the fullness of His measure. And all of His gifts are yours. As John Wimber used to say, it's like a plumber with his toolbox. The plumber doesn't come with one tool. He comes with every tool available to him because he doesn't know what he might encounter. And he diagnoses the issue and he reaches into his toolbox for the specific tool that is appropriate for that need. In the same way, all the operations, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in you and available to you. And they are available for the specific moment of time for whatever the need might be. You can reach in and you can appropriate that. Now, I want to suggest this to you. When the enemy comes with condemnation, when the enemy comes and lies to you and says, you're not a son, you're, you're not a daughter, look at your behavior and so on. I have found that the quickest way to make him flee is to begin to simply speak in tongues. Speak in my spiritual, supernatural language. He has no answer to that. <laughs> Take that, Satan. Take that and speak in the language that God has given you. And not only are you putting the enemy to flight, but you're also speaking mysteries in the spirit and who knows what they are. And if you ask God, he'll give you the revelation, the insight into what you have spoken. But I tell you, it is just a wonderful thing to be able to speak out in tongues when the enemy comes and intimidates you with doubt and confusion and questions that you are truly a son and focuses in on your behavior and says, look at you, look at the failure in your life and so on. You counteract that by immediately speaking in tongues or just beginning to praise God and worship Him. I'm telling you, worshiping Him from the Spirit is such a powerful thing. I do it in the shower all the time. I sing it, the Holy Spirit in the shower constantly and just worship the Lord in the spiritual language. He is the guarantee of my inheritance. He is the Arabon. And think of what the engagement ring is. It's a ring given by a bridegroom to his bride with the guarantee that he is coming to claim the bride. The ring represents his betrothal of the bride to himself and he's coming to claim the bride as his own. Back many years ago, I was given a ring that I wear on my, on my right hand. It's a diamond ring with a beautiful diamond. And the lady who gave it to me at that time, she had heard me teach on forgiveness. And this ring that I now wear very proudly as a gift from the father was a ring that her father bought in a time when the family could little afford it, but he had always wanted a ring for himself. And it created so much hurt in the family when these, her father bought this ring. And when I preached on forgiveness, she knew that she needed to go to her father and forgive him. And so she did. She went to her father, forgave him, and there was reconciliation and restoration of the relationship. And when her father died, she inherited the ring. 
And she thought she would keep it for her husband who was a contractor and he wasn't interested in rings. And, and then the Holy Spirit said, give that ring to John. As I drove home from receiving the, the, the ring, I was so embarrassed. And I thought, I'm not going to wear that ring. I don't want to be seen as a televangelist with jewelry. And the father said to me, if your earthly father gave you that ring, would you wear it in honor of him? And I said, absolutely. And he said, this is from me. Wear it in honor of me. And then he opened my eyes, just as the prodigal son received that ring of authority, restored authority from the father. So he said, I've given you my authority. And every time when you lay hands on someone and you see that ring on your finger, remember that you have my delegated authority. You have power over sickness, over disease, over all the oppression of the enemy. You have my authority. And then the third thing he said, that is the Arabon. It is the engagement ring. And it is the guarantee of all the wealth, all of the riches that I have bestowed upon my bride. And I want my bride to enjoy. And so when you look at that ring, see the wealth, see the riches, see the gold. When we were ministering in late 99 and into 2000s and gold was showing up in our meetings, it was just like the Lord was saying, this is a sign of what I want to lavish on my church. And what was so sad to me is that I would preach on the message of grace, but so often the manifestation of gold teeth and gold dust and gold nuggets and jewels and so on would just be seen as something that you have to earn and have to deserve instead of seeing it as a manifestation of the wealth that is available to the bride. Not so that we focus in on the gold dust, but that we focus in on all of the riches of our inheritance. Not so that we can become fat cats, but so that we can be a blessing. That's the purpose of Abraham's inheritance, so that we can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so I have worn this ring with joy and with, with gladness from that point on in honor of the Father who gave it to me and as a sign and a wonder of what he has bestowed upon his church. Now I want to talk about the one area where your sense of identity is going to have the greatest impact and the greatest effect. And that is in the area of your intimate relationship with the Father. Call it prayer, communication with Him, communion with Him. Where you see yourself in relationship to God has a big impact on the way that you pray. And listening to how you pray would be a clue as to where you are in terms of understanding your identity and in relationship to God. Uh, some months ago, I, I think I read this on a seed to seed, or if I didn't, I received this from a friend of mine who, it's actually from John Eldridge, and it's titled The Abundance of His House. A slave feels reluctant to pray. They feel they have no right to ask, and so their prayers are modest and respectful. They spend more time asking forgiveness than they do praying for abundance. An orphan is not reluctant to pray. They feel desperate, but their prayers feel more like begging than anything else. 
but not sons. Sons know who they are. Mine were just home for the holiday, all three of them. They are young men now, out making their way in the world. And as is fitting to their stage in life, they are living on limited means. <clears throat> but when they come home, they get to feast. The refrigerator and pantry is theirs to pillage, and they don't have to ask permission. When we go out to dinner, there is no question that dad will take care of the bill. For they are sons. They get to live under their father's blessing. They get to drink from the abundance of my house, Psalm 36, 8. And when the holidays were over and they packed up and left, they took with them my best shoes, my best sunglasses, some of my favorite books, climbing gear and cigars. With my absolute pleasure and blessing, Luke was the last to go. He was hoping to pillage some of my travel gear for an upcoming trip. I said, you are my son. Everything I have is yours. Plunder as you will. This is how sons get to live. This is how a father feels toward his sons. I'm going to spend more time in a future message developing that. But I, I, I wanted to introduce it here that fundamentally, you can tell where you are living, if you are living as an heir or not, because an heir doesn't have to beg. Just like the older brother, he doesn't have to wait for God to reward him for his diligent asking, for his appropriate confessing. He knows that as an heir, he has everything that the father has made available to him through the inheritance. And so that'll change the way that you approach God. Instead of asking, you will be confessing the promises of God that relate to your situation. You will be declaring what God has said. You will be homologying. The word confess means to agree with homos, to say the same thing as God. You'll come into his presence, as Hebrews 4 says, come boldly to the throne of grace, holding fast to your homologying, saying the same thing that God has said. That's how you come with boldness. If you don't know who you are, then you come slinking in like a slave, feeling unworthy and asking God, but not expecting very much and expecting that you're going to have to ask again and again and again and again. But a son knows that as I declare what the father has said and has spoken, and I'm in agreement with heaven, then you know what Hebrews 1, the last verse says, that the angels are ministering spirits sent out to minister on behalf of those who are heirs of salvation. You're an heir of salvation. And so the angels are there to minister on your behalf, to, to bring the answers to your prayers, to, to, to do those things in, that you are incapable of doing in order to release the resources of heaven, the answer to your prayer, and to enrich you as a son and as a daughter of the Father. We are going to unpack that even more in future messages because it's such an important area, vital area. When you come into the area of authority, you have to understand your authority, and that authority is based upon your identity. Now, I do want to end this message by looking at a key verse relating to inheritance, and that is in Hebrews 
chapter 6 and verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience. Through faith and patience. Faith is expressed in my agreement with God in declaring that what he has said is mine, is mine. Whether it be healing, whether it be provision, whether it be unity in the home and in the marriage, the blessings of God in every area of your life, I come into agreement with him and I exercise faith in the promises of God. And as I've said many times, the most tangible way to do that is to take the bread and the wine and declare over yourself the, what God has said, the promises of God. But there is a dimension here that I do want to talk about for a bit, and that is the word patience. Because you see, you can receive your inheritance, but it might not immediately manifest. And so a lot of people become discouraged at that point and just drift away from being persuaded of the truth of God's word, being persuaded of their identity, being persuaded of the inheritance that is theirs because of the time that it takes to see the manifestation of what they are believing God for. And so patience is such an important part of this whole area of receiving the inheritance. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let me refer you again to a passage that I just love in James chapter 1, where James says this in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The testing of your faith produces patience. Now, we know from Galatians chapter 5 that patience is a fruit, is an operation of the Holy Spirit. So what James is saying here, when you're going through a period of trial, when you're going through a period of tribulation, Count it all joy, and the word there, count, is like making a fiat decision. It's like a ruler's decision. I've shared the story before of one time when we were in real lack in our family, and it was spring break, and I got up one morning, and I got before the Lord. I said, Lord, we are in such lack as a family, and uh, the kids were still asleep, and Bev was still asleep. And I got before the Lord, and I read this passage, and the Lord said, I want you to make a fiat decision as the head of this home that you, together with the family, are going to count it all joy that you're going through this trial, knowing that the testing or the trial of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. So here's the thing. Patience as an operation of the Spirit, as you are going through this testing, patience is working in you to transform you, to change you, so that when the fulfilled promise comes to you, it will be a blessing and will not be 
a negative thing or a burden to you. Because if God had to grant the promises that he gives us immediately, so many of us wouldn't be able to handle it at that point in time. Our character is not developed. We are not at that place of maturity to be able to handle the promised inheritance right at that moment. And so it is through faith and patience. And patience is a glorious part of your inheritance. It is that operation of the Spirit working in you to transform you. And the end result is what makes it all so worthwhile. He says, so that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. God is not wanting to withhold from you. He's not wanting to deprive you, but he's wanting to bring you to so that you may be complete or mature, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so that's where he's taking us so that we'll have no lack, so that what if he had to give you an inheritance before you're ready to manage it, you could easily squander it through bad management. And so when he gives you the promise that you're going to be a millionaire, he doesn't immediately dump a million in your bank account, but you go on a journey of education, of preparation, so that when you do enter into that, you're able to manage that gift in a way that is going to be a blessing in the kingdom of God and not a, a negative thing in the kingdom of God. Please hear that because so many people become so discouraged and so disconsolate instead of yielding. You see, you've got to allow patience to have its perfect work. It's something that you have to choose to welcome and say, Lord, I welcome the work of patience in me, transforming me so that I can receive the promise in inheritance because there is a delay does not mean that God is slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness as James says God's not slack concerning his promise he's just a wise loving father that what he has promised you what your inheritance is is not going to be immediately poured out upon you because you will not be able to manage it. It's just like he did not conquer all of the enemy nations in the promised land in one fell swoop because he said otherwise the land would become overrun with wild beasts. Possessing your inheritance is a progression and it's, it's a wonderful process in your life. So let me encourage you. I mean, Joseph, listen to this. Joseph has dreams, dreams of his brothers bowing down to him, dreams even of his, the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to his mother and father and, and, and his brothers. And the dreams are so incendiary that his brothers in anger and jealousy determined to get rid of him, were about to kill him, and then sold him as a slave into Egypt. He's sold into Potiphar's house, where he begins to manage everything in Potiphar's house. And then through the wiles of a, a wicked woman, he gets tossed into prison. And there again in prison, he is given the responsibility of management of the resources. And the, the governor of the prison hands over all of the management to Joseph. And then he interprets the dream of the baker and the butler. And he has to wait another two years 
before the butler remembers the dream being interpreted in the prison and Joseph is brought out of the prison. He had all that time. Well, patience was having its perfect work because in Potiphar's house and in the prison, he was being equipped to manage the wealth of Egypt, to manage those resources. He had to learn how to make things last. He didn't learn those skills anywhere else but in captivity. Man, that's an encouragement always to me when things don't seem to work out immediately and and the promised inheritance doesn't immediately manifest. I have learned to embrace the work of patience to realize that I am being tested by the word. I've told the story many times before and we've just been going through the same thing again and I'll bring it up to date. But when we first came to America, we all got sick. We were in lack and I would stand on the promises of God. I would stand on the word of God. And it seemed like the more we confessed the word, the, the worse things, we were unwell. We had no money. We were, we were in tremendous lack. And it got to the place where Bev said to me one night, she said, and she said, I am so disappointed in God. He hasn't fulfilled his promises to us. We came here believing that God had given us promises. And so that night she was just at, at her end. And she said, I might as well go back to South Africa with the kids. And you come and visit every now and then. If you believe God has called you to America to minister here, you stay here. But we might as well go back to South Africa because things were so much better there. I know many of you felt the same way. It's like, let's go back to where we were. That's what the Jewish believers were being tempted to do in the book of Hebrews, to go back under the the Mosaic system because there wasn't persecution there. There was It was easy back there. And so Bev said, I I might as well go back and I said to her, Bev, I'm so sure that I've heard God that tomorrow morning I'm going to go before God and I'm going to ask him what's going on. And the following morning I got up when everyone was still in bed and I, I got before the Lord and I said, Lord, you say in Amos 3 verse 7, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his purpose to his servants, the prophets. You do nothing that you're not willing to reveal to us. And so right now in, I'm asking you for the revelation of what is going on. And that morning I read Psalm 105. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. And really it says his soul was in irons. It was like, it was not just the physical bondage, but his soul was in irons. It was such a depleting experience for Joseph to go from being his daddy's favorite to being in Potiphar's house and then being to be, to be totally misunderstood in Potiphar's house and being thrown into prison and then being forgotten about in prison when the butler is restored to his position. His soul was in irons. And then it says this, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And one of the versions says, until his dreams were fulfilled, until his word came to pass. And the Lord spoke to me that morning and he said, the word of the Lord is testing you until your word, the promises that I've given you come to pass. The word of the Lord is testing you. And I can remember saying to the Lord, Lord, even if my family dies 
of sickness, I will still preach that you are the healer because you said it, your word is true. And even if we are in lack and we have no food and we have no money, I will still preach that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because your word says it, I don't need anything but your word. And if not another soul gets saved under my preaching, I will still preach that you that Jesus saves. And I said that before the Lord, and it was like the breakthrough came in my spirit. I was being tested by the word. Would I believe the word or would I believe the evidence that I could see with my eyes? And I was absolutely committed and determined to believe the word. Bev and I have just gone through this exact same thing. We've we've been in a real tight place financially in the ministry. And so I had this message that I was going to preach. And I, I've got to tell you this. I'm going to be honest with you. I was so intimidated by the enemy who was whispering in my ear, you can't preach that message. You're not living in the fullness of your inheritance. Look at you, you're in lack. And man, we were standing on the word. We were taking the covenant meal. We were rebuking the spirit of lack. We were rebuking the spirit of debt. We were claiming everything that was ours. And I did not understand that we. I was being tested by the word again. And it suddenly dawned on my heart yesterday, morning, I had postponed preaching this message because I felt, how can I preach this word about inheritance when we are in so much lack ourselves? I'm just being honest with you. That's where I was at. And then God, as it were, pulled back the shutters. And I shared this with Bev. And Bev said, oh, my word, you are going through exactly the same test as when we first came to America. You're being tested by the word. Are you going to believe the word because God says it? Or are you going to believe your situation? And we passed, I believe we passed the test with flying colors because we would, I was like, yes, I'm going to preach this word. God's word is true. Even if we are not seeing the abundance, I know we have seen God's amazing provision from time to time, but right just at this time. And of course, it's been easy for me to go before the Lord and gripe about because I hear continually about so many people being blessed through our ministry. And then I'm saying to myself, but why aren't they hearing the spirit? Why aren't they responding to the word? And and why aren't they blessing the ministry? Hey, I know some of you have been in the same situation. That's where I was, and I'm not trying to put any guilt trip on anybody. I'm just telling you the honest truth of where I've been. But I passed the test because I came to this and I said, Lord, I'm going to preach this message on inheritance, whether I'm not seeing the the immediate inheritance, although, man, have I got promises of abundance and wealth. And we know we've had so many pr- prophetic words that we're right on the cusp of the breakthrough. But right now, it's like last weekend, we ministered down in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and one of the ladies came to bear first and then to me and said, the Lord's given me this word for you. The brook has dried up. And we know that's true. There was a drying up of the brook of where we are at the moment, and God's leading us into something else. And we've had prophetic words about that, and we know we're on the cusp of that. But right now, it's important for me to share this word with you, that that patience is having its perfect work. God is preparing us for what is coming. And it's not easy when you're going through the time of testing, but you have to come to that place where you count it all joy 
when you're going through the trials, knowing that the trial of your faith produces patience, but allow patience, permit patience to have its perfect work. And that is what today I am yielding to that work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, patience operating in me to make me perfect and complete, lacking Nothing. That's where God is taking me. I've just finished reading the book of Job. And man, you can get bogged down in the book of Job if you don't get to the end. And that's what James says. You've got to, you've got to focus on the end where God gives Job double. Double. He restores Job. And he gives him double of what he had before. So I just want to encourage you this month. Some of you are saying, well, I've been, I've been laying hold of the inheritance. I've been confessing the promises of God over my health, over my finances, over my marriage, over my children, over my work, over my business, over my vehicles, over everything that pertains to me and belongs to me. I've been declaring the word of God, but it doesn't seem as if it's happening recognize the work of patience and yield to it. Just say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm yielding to this work of patience in my life. You're equipping me, you're transforming me, you're preparing me for the promised inheritance. Thank you, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. That's a wonderful place of resignation, resigning from trying to understand everything and trying to be in charge of the and letting go and yielding to the Spirit's work and letting the Holy Spirit. Man, I can feel it right now. For many of you, there's just a release coming. You're letting go. You're letting go of trying to figure it out, of trying to work it all out. You've, you've confessed the promises of God. You've agreed that you are an heir. You've been confessing the promises. You've been taking the covenant meal and declaring the promises before God. And every one of those promises are yes and amen. And you've been faithful in declaring those promises. And you're saying, well, what I'm not, why am I not seeing it yet? Why am I not seeing the manifestation and the fulfillment? Let patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You are an heir of God. You're a joint heir with Christ, which means that everything belongs to the Father that belongs to the Father is yours. So, Father, I thank you for these precious people who you've given me the privilege of sharing this word with. Thank you. And we are heirs. We are heirs, heirs of God, heirs of everything that belongs to you. We live in the Father's house with his abundance. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. And right now, in Jesus' name, I take authority over every hindering spirit. You know, it's so amazing in Thessalonians. The great, the mighty apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, he wanted to come to them, but he said, Satan hindered him. And you say, Paul, why didn't you just take authority over the hindrance of Satan? And I'm sure that he did. But I know that the enemy puts up hindrances and barriers and he runs interference on the, the fulfillment of the promises of God. So right now we come against those interfering spirits, those hindering spirits, those spirits of delay, those spirits of lackadaisicalness on those that God wants to use to fulfill the promises to you. In Jesus' name, we just declare right now the victory that we have 
in the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are heirs, 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 heirs. And the testator, Jesus the testator died so that every item in that will that has been bequeathed to us, we might live in the fullness of it. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. We embrace our inheritance in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you and thank you for listening.